Just a couple of additional announcements that I wanted to make. We have a uh, couple of Christmas gifts for you today. First, our church has recently partnered with a, a Christian video streaming service called Right Now Media, which is basically like a Christian version of Netflix. It's completely customizable. There's over 15,000 resources ranging from shows for your kids, Bible studies, seminars, conferences, uh, book summaries, and a lot more. And a lot of it, as we've combed through it, is from some of the greatest Bible teachers in the world. So what we've done is we have purchased a monthly subscription to this service on behalf of our entire church, which means that all of you get to have that service for free. It can be accessed through the internet or an iOS or Android app on your phone or tablet, as well as through video streaming boxes like Apple TV or Amazon Fire. So to get going on this, most of you are going to receive an email invitation during the service today. Please don't check your email during service, but this afternoon, if you check your inbox, you should have something there, and it's going to give you some instructions on how to access that service. If you do not receive an email, uh, let us know. We'll see what we can do. So Merry Christmas. Second announcement, uh, to help you celebrate Advent, we've put together this free resource for you. It is called Prepare Him Room, and it is specific to this year. Inside, you'll find four different devotions, one for each week of Advent. you also find scripture recommendations to read, uh, thoughts to consider, uh, and a Christmas song for you and or your family to sing. And then at the end, there's a list of daily readings, a story of the real Santa Claus, and then some Christmas trivia and a list of, if you're looking for more, recommended Advent resources. So grab one of these on your way out. There's a small table right on the other side of this short wall, and you'll find these Advent devotionals in that booklet. Grab one on your way out. They are free to you. You can also uh, find this booklet in PDF form on our website under Resources. If you just click on the Resources tab, you can find a PDF version of this, as well as some coloring pages. Uh, maybe you give your kids, they can, they can color some pictures or even do that while you're given the devotional. So anyway, that's also out there for you. Merry Christmas. Speaking of Advent, uh, if you haven't already noticed, we begin celebrating Advent today. It's a big deal for us. It always has been here at Veritas Church. We sing differently, we, right? We sing different songs. Uh, we put up different decorations. Um, what we talk about is specific and focused. So as many of you know, historically... Uh, that has been the, the tradition of many churches, that Christmas is actually a four-week celebration called Advent. The word Advent means, some of you already know, it means arrival. So we're celebrating the Advent, we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus Christ. So we celebrate for four weeks leading up to the actual day of Christmas. The idea is that during these four weeks of Advent, anticipation is building for Christmas Day. That's what the month is about. It's about building anticipation for Christmas Day, which 
reenacts the anticipation of God's people before the first advent, the birth of Jesus, the promised Savior. So we follow that same tradition here. We devote the first four Sundays of December to celebrating Advent using the traditional themes of hope and then love and then joy and peace. And then our celebration culminates with a Christmas Eve service. That'll be on Christmas Eve this year at 6.30 p.m. So in addition to all of your Christmas Day traditions, which I'm sure you have, we would encourage you, if you don't already, to intentionally pull back your Christmas celebrations all the way into this first week of December and join us in celebrating Advent. So we begin today. We begin this morning, and our Advent theme is hope. And our text, as you know, is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, where we will read again about an angel who surprises a young woman to bring her the good news of God making good on his greatest promise. So as we move forward, don't forget and remember that we are reading and thinking about and studying God's Word. And here alone, we learn who we are, we learn who God is. This month we'll be reminded and learning who God became, a man, on our behalf. And whenever God's Word is preached, whether it's here or in another church, Whenever God's word is preached and it is inspired and helped by the Holy Spirit, God is glorified and God's people are helped and encouraged and built up. There's a reason the church has been doing this thing this way for 2,000 years and it is God's way, his main way of growing, strengthening and maturing his people. And that's why we never move forward without first praying. So will you please bow your heads with me. Our Father in heaven, as we listen to this sermon, fill our minds with truth, fill our hearts with desire, and move our wills to trust, honor, and obey you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which you're free to take with you, if you don't already own your own Bible, you'll find it on page 555. 555. This is totally unrelated. Just popped into my head. But if you're ever watching a television show or a movie and they recite a phone number, have you noticed this? The phone number always begins with 555. That's curious. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Edward Mote was a pastor who wrote that um, 200 years ago. 
He was a pastor to Rehoboth Baptist Church in England for 26 years. He was their pastor. His congregation liked him so much that at one point they offered him the church building as a gift. Let me say up front, no thank you, if you're thinking about that. (laughs) We don't own this building, so you'd just be sticking me with a big tab. So they offered him this building, which I'm sure was a beautiful building. He declined, and his, his, his declining, what he said, his reply was great. I do not want the chapel. I only want the pulpit. And when I cease to preach Christ, then turn me out of that. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. Hope, Edward Mote wrote, is built on nothing less than Jesus. On His blood. On His righteousness. We rest on His unchanging grace. Christ is our anchor And then the verses end with, Jesus is all my hope and stay. Stay meaning certain support. Hope meaning certain assurance. If Jesus never came, a horrifying thought. If Jesus never came, we would have no reason for hope. If Jesus never arrived, we would have no reason for hope. Advent truly is at the bottom of our certain assurance. And here's what we mean by hope this Christmas. In the West, hope doesn't have the greatest connotation. It refers to a desire in our hearts regarding an uncertain future, right? Is this going to happen? Someone asks you and you say, I hope so. Usually we're talking about an uncertain future. I hope we win the game. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope she says yes. So for most of our society today, hope refers to what we would like to happen in the future. But it's uncertain, but we hope that it'll happen in the future. That is not what the Bible means when it uses the word hope, ever. In the Bible, hope refers to a desire in our hearts regarding a certain future. Not an iffy future, a for sure future, a certain future. It's not a hoping for, it's a hoping in. It is the hope described in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, which Edward Mote was reading when he wrote that solid rock song. Hebrews 6 says, We have this 
And he's talking about God's promise. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And so what we have in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, is a message of hope. Actually, the message. That sells it short to call it just another message of hope. This is the message of hope first coming down to earth. It is the beginning of the Christmas story. It's why we begin here at Advent. This is the beginning of the Christmas story. Now, one thing before we read the account. One thing that I want you to see. I want to quickly point out how this message of hope was given to Joseph. We're going to read how it was given to Mary. But let me read you something. This is how it was given to Joseph, the man to whom this young woman, this young girl is engaged to be married. Her visitation is going to be our focus, but I want to show you something with Joseph. Here's just a few verses from Matthew chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. I can read them. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas story. Right? Mark and John, they start later on in Jesus' life. So here's Matthew's account of an angel visiting Joseph. This is verses 20 through 25 of Matthew 1. But as he, this is Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I want you to remember that saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph, you just heard, was visited by an angel, but his angel came to him how? His angel came to him in a dream. Likewise, in Matthew 2, verse 12, and then verse 13, and then verses 19 and 20, the wise men and Joseph again will be visited by angels in dreams. But there's something very different in our text today. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel came in person, in person to Mary. That means that whatever this angel, we're going to read, whatever this angel is going to tell Mary is very, very important. So, all that said, without more delay, let's begin to read through our text. We could look at this in three sections, the girl the greeting, and the good news. So let's begin with the girl. We are introduced to her in verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth was Mary's relative, we're told, maybe her cousin. Elizabeth, you will remember, was the father of John the Reformed Baptist. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, we even know the angel's name here, Gabriel. Most of you know who Gabriel is. Gabriel is the most famous angel. He was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, which means that Joseph was a descendant of King David that you read about in the Old Testament. That's, of course, important because part of the promise in the Old Testament of the Messiah is that he would come in the family line of King David. And then the end of verse 27, and the virgin's name was Mary. So in those couple verses, we learn several things about this girl, about this young woman. First, her name was Mary. Second, she was betrothed, which means that she was engaged to marry this man, Joseph. But unlike an engagement today, a, a betrothal was binding. A betrothal, like the marriage, would require a divorce in order to break it. So her name's Mary. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. And then third, she was a virgin. And according to that verse we read in Matthew 1, verse 25, she would remain a virgin throughout her entire pregnancy. And then there's something else we learned. It's not as obvious for those of you who know where this story is going, who've heard this story before or many times before, think about something with me. The angel could have gone to a big, prominent city like Jerusalem. But instead, he came to a small, rural town. So small that the readers needed to be told what region it was in. Nazareth, a city of Galilee. And the angel could have gone to a wealthy and prominent family. Maybe the daughter of a wealthy scribe, or maybe the daughter of a prominent politician. But instead, he came to a poor woman. This is what the Apostle Paul was reflecting on when he said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And Philippians 2, 6 through 7 Speaking about Jesus, Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be clutched, to be held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's Paul writing later, decades later, reflecting on this humble beginning of Jesus, beginning with this poor, young, godly girl named Mary. So this is the girl, the greeting, verses 28 and 29. Let's read about the greeting in these next two verses. And he came to her, again, this is not a dream, this is the angel Gabriel coming to Mary in person, and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. A better translation for greatly troubled might be she was greatly confused or perplexed. There was certainly an element of fear there. There always is. Every time you read about an angel appearing to men, men and women are afraid. But she's confused, this means. She's perplexed. For an angel to come up and to call her favored one and to tell her that the Lord is with her, that would have been extremely humbling, to say the least. She's confused. She's wondering why this angel has come to her. Why? What, what is he going to say next? And now following the verses 30 through 38, we have the, the brief conversation between Mary and Gabriel. And here is the good news. This is, this is why Gabriel has come to meet with this girl. He is bringing good news, not just any good news. It is the good news of God making good on his greatest promise. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, and so now behold, here is the good news he came to bring. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now put yourself in Mary's shoes. Imagine what this felt like to be Mary. We have a lot of moms here today. A lot of moms here at Veritas. We have a lot of moms who have carried their own children. How did you find out you were pregnant? Remember back. How did you find out you were pregnant? Not like this. Nothing like this. And remember... Mary is a young, godly, unmarried. She's godly, but she's an unmarried woman at this point. And she's being told that very soon she's going to be pregnant. And what is she told so far? In these verses, she's told she's going to have a baby. That's the very first thing that she learns. Then she learns the gender. She's going to have a son. The baby is going to be a boy. And then something else shows up on this ultrasound. She's not only going to be pregnant. It's not only a boy, but this baby boy is going to be called Son of the Most High and will inherit the throne of King David, and will be an eternal king of an everlasting kingdom. 
Imagine that on a shower invitation. Imagine that gender reveal party. We're having a boy. And we're having God. And he's going to rule over you and your kids forever. Can you imagine being in Mary's shoes? Can you imagine learning all of this? That this is, this is the child that she was going to have. And this is who this child was going to be. And this was the future of this child. Thank goodness they didn't have cars and bumper stickers back then. You've seen bumper stickers like, my child made the honor roll at Quail Glen Elementary. Oh, that's, that's cute. <laughs> my child's God. <laughs> All joking aside, here's what Mary has just been told. First, she's going to have a child. Second, she is supposed to name him Jesus. The angel that came to Joseph in a dream told him the exact same thing. Name the baby Jesus. Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua. And it means the Lord saves. So Mary, Joseph first, then Mary, you're going to have a child. And I want you to name this child the Lord saves. Third, she's told that her son Jesus will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. Which Son of the Most High will be clarified in a few verses in verse 35. But that title, Most High, goes all the way back to Genesis 14. In Genesis chapter 14, in verse 18, there is this mysterious man named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is called in Genesis 14, 18, the priest of God most high. And then as you read on in your Old Testament, this title, most high, becomes a common title for God among the Israelites. So she's told third that he's going, she's to call him Jesus, the Lord saves, and others are going to call him the son of most high. And then fourth... She learns that Jesus is going to be a king, not just any king, but an eternal king over an everlasting kingdom. Here's verse 32 again. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Which meant that Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of what God had told David way back, centuries before. God had told David that he was going to eventually have a descendant, offspring, that would be an eternal king over an eternal kingdom. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. When your days, David, God said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, long after you're dead and gone, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And what did the angel just tell Mary? I'm going to give your son the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over this kingdom that will have no end. So again, Mary is told she's going to have a child. She's to name him Jesus. He will be called Son of the Most High. He will be a king. And Mary responds to all of this in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? She's confused. She's perplexed. She's dumbfounded. How will this be? And think about it. What does she mean by this question? How will this be? Does she mean, how will it be that my child will be the son of the Most High? Does she mean, how will it be that my son will become a king? Does she mean, how will it be that my son will rule over an everlasting kingdom forever? Those are all good questions. How would any of those things be? But I don't think that's her question. That's not what she says. She means, how will it be that I'll have a child? Those were her words. How will this be? How will all this be since... I am a virgin. She's a young woman who's engaged to be married to a man, but she knows that she has saved herself for this man. She has not been with him. So how would it be possible for her to have a child, let alone a child who's going to be all these great things that the angel Gabriel tells her? And Gabriel answers, verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So that is a fifth thing that Mary learns here in this good news. This child will be called the Son of God. This child will be holy, she's told. Holy means different. Holy means set apart. And this child will be very different. This child will be Capital H, holy. This child will be holy, holy, holy. This child will be different. This child will be unlike any other child ever. This child will be set apart in a way that no other child has been set apart. He will be holy. This child, unlike every other child since Cain and Abel, this child, unlike every other child who is conceived by a man 
and a woman will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, don't take this for granted because you've, you've heard it so many times. Isn't that one of the dangers at Christmas time? These things that you've heard so many times, you take it for granted. Slow down this Advent. Think about what you're reading in God's Word. Slow down. Think about the songs that you're hearing on the radio. Almost every year, it happened again this morning in one of the songs that we're singing today. I felt like I understood and heard something in one of these Christmas carols that I'd never heard before. And yet I knew it by heart. When you hear something over and over and over and over again, you easily become sort of inoculated to it. It no longer has the punch that it once had. It no longer has the power that it once had. It no longer has the same ability to sort of take you off of your feet. And so to remedy that, you slow down at Advent. You get these Advent readings where you're reading every single day about Advent and the arrival of Christ. And you read and you stop and you pause and you pray and you think. What am I being told here? Well, Mary was just told. And we're being reminded. That here is a way that Jesus, this child, this baby boy, is unlike any other child in history. He will not be conceived by a man and a woman. He is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, he tells Mary. He will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, the power of God, think about the power of God, the power to create the universe. The power to part the Red Sea. The power to send the plagues. The power to bring dead people back to life. That kind of power. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, because of that power, this child to be born will be called holy. That's how this child will be holy and different and unlike any other child. The child to be born will be called holy, Mary. He will be called, he is, Gabriel told her. The Son of God. So this child will be conceived in Mary's womb and therefore he will be a man. But this child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit and therefore this child will be God. So Jesus is the God-man and the only God-man. He is totally a man and He is totally God. He was and is a person 
and he was and is God. And his very beginning, how that's even possible, is explained to us here. Well, he will be conceived in Mary's womb, and so he will be a man. But he is not conceived by a man and a woman. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the power of the Most High, without any other help or assistance, will build this child in Mary's womb. Can you imagine being in Mary's shoes? And behold, verse 36, Gabriel goes on. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is also called barren. This isn't the only miracle happening, he says. Your relative, maybe cousin Elizabeth, who was very old, she'd never been able to have children. She was barren, and now she's going to be with child. An angel came and told her that, and that's going to be John. And that's a miracle. So here's a miracle nobody thought was possible. And I know what I'm telling you. You say, How will this be? This seems impossible. And then he says, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And that's his bottom line answer to her question. That's not all he says, but that's his bottom line right there. How will this be since I am a virgin? Well, nothing is impossible with God. There's no such thing as how will this be with God. No such thing as how is this possible with God. There's no such thing as how could this happen or how could this change or how could this be. It's always possible with God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And we've heard that throughout the Bible. And we've learned that throughout the Bible. Nothing is impossible with God. Genesis 18, 14 says this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a funny question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Has God ever reached a wall that he can't get through? Had an obstacle before him that he can't get out of the way? A puzzle he can't solve? Is there anything too hard for God? Is it possible for God to, to make a rock so big and so heavy that he can't move it? Right? Because if he can't, then I guess he's not that powerful. If he does, then he's not powerful enough to move it. Anything is possible with God. Nothing is too hard for God. Do you remember when that question was asked in Genesis chapter 18? When God came and told, what, 90-year-old Sarah that she was going to have a baby? That sounds impossible to me. 90 years old. She would be with child Abraham 100 years old. 
going to be chasing a toddler around the house? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You remember what Sarah did when she heard that? Yeah, she giggled. Not because she thought it was funny. Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? And this, this may have actually been the Son of God telling her this. The angel said, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Job said the same thing in chapter 42, verse 2. After Job had been through so much, and had, had so much given to him, and then taken from him, and then will be given to him. And it had been made clear to him that God's hand was behind everything. The good, the bad, the easy, the hard, the, the enjoyable, the painful, the joy, the suffering. That God's hand was behind all of it. And then Job declared in chapter 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And so when Mary asks, how will this be that I'll have a child and I'll name him Jesus and he will be any eternal king of an everlasting kingdom. In fact, he will be the son of God. And I won't have this child after I'm married and have been with my husband, Joseph. But before that, because you, through the Holy Spirit, will overshadow me and conceive this child in my womb, how will this be? Nothing is Gabriel's reply. Nothing is impossible for God. This miracle is not impossible. And so in verse 38, Mary responded very similarly to Job and Jeremiah. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There it is. The beginning of the Christmas story. The announcement of the coming incarnation. The good news of God making good on his greatest promise. The promised rescuer was nine months away. They'd waited so long. God's people had been waiting so long. And what was Mary just told? Nine more months. Nine more months. And the rescuer will be here. So how do we respond to good news like that? I'm sure there's many ways that we could respond. 
but we should celebrate. Now, celebration is something that's going to be happening a lot this month. But not everybody is celebrating what they should be celebrating. I'm sure you've heard me say this before. Christians should be the best Christmas celebrators. We understand what it is that we're celebrating. We understand the good news. You're, you're going to hear, you're going to hear people singing songs on the radio, and you're going to know a bit about these people who are singing these songs, and you're not going to believe that they're singing these words. They're going to be singing proclamations of the gospel. They'll be making albums this Christmas season. And it's just going to be in your face. It's just going to be outright. Just bold proclamations of the good news of the incarnation everywhere. You wonder if they ever stop and slow down and actually think about what it is they're singing. But we know. We know what it is we're celebrating. So we should celebrate. Celebrate in your heart. That's where it begins. In your own heart. Read God's word this month. Communicate to God. Pray to God. Confession, of course. Supplication, of course. Praying for Him to work in your life. But thanksgiving and gratitude for sending His Son, Jesus. Sing the songs. Worship. Celebrate God in your heart, in your home, with your family, here with your church. Let's get the most we can out of this month. Let's celebrate the advent, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And our cry this month will be, we sang the song today, I'll just read the first verse and a half. Charles Wesley wrote it, Come thou long expected Jesus. It's become a Christmas song. It actually was not about the birth of Jesus. It was actually written about the second coming of Christ. And it's been adopted as a song to sing about the first coming of Christ. And it works for both. Because the cry before Jesus came was, Come thou long expected Jesus. And the cry for Christians today is, Come thou long expected Jesus. The first advent and the second advent. And as Christians, we celebrate His first advent and we cry out in expectation for His second advent his second arrival, when He will come to meet us and take us home to be with Him forever. And so we sing, in reflection and looking forward, Come, Thou long-expected Jesus, born to set Thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, thank you for this story that we have to tell, this true story of the long-awaited rescuer and how he came to this planet to save his people from their greatest enemy. Help us, God, to see more this Advent than we have before, to learn more, so that we would love you more, so that we would love you more deeply, that we would worship you more wholeheartedly, that we would serve you more fully. So help us with this word and the words to come to come to a deeper understanding of what it is that we're celebrating at Christmas, what it is that we're celebrating at Advent. Would you give us opportunities to interpret the Christmas story for others? Would you give us opportunity to explain what the big deal is? That it is the miracle of you sending your son Jesus to be born to a virgin. That he would live, suffer, and die for his people. So that his people could be saved. So thank you for this great beginning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.